The Geopolitics and Empire podcast is joined once again by Dr. Paul Craig Roberts. Dr. Roberts served in the U.S. government under President Reagan. He's held many prominent positions in academia and media and has won countless awards. Do not listen to what Wikipedia says about him. Rather, go to his website, paulcraigroberts.org. We'll be discussing what he, myself, and numerous others consider to be a color revolution now being unleashed against the United States. Thank you for being with us once again, Dr. Roberts. It's always a pleasure. Now, Dr. Roberts, there's quite a growing list of people calling what is occurring in America a color revolution that is now targeted against Washington itself. These include uh, recently Mexican billionaire Hugo Salinas Price, guests on Tucker Carlson's show, uh, analyst Mike Whitney, whose articles you frequently share, Senator Richard Black, who we've previously had on Geopolitics and Empire, who has warned of a military coup, C.J. Hopkins, who you cite and we've had on as well. Uh, we recently saw Newt Gingrich being censored on Fox News by mentioning uh, George Soros. And my graduate thesis at the Geneva School of Diplomacy was on color revolutions, and I can clearly identify uh, the signs. We have a group of useful idiots and front groups such as BLM and Antifa. They're funded and organized by elite power brokers, and they're, con they're conducting this systematic sabotage, this professional you know, sabotage that seems to go beyond what even an angry organic citizen mob would and could do. And recently you wrote, quote, after the CIA overthrows Trump, they will use Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and their prostitutes to foment race war. Then the CIA will ride in on the pale horse and the population will submit. The scenario is unfolding as I write. Very few will believe it until it happens, end quote. So that no one has any doubt, you know, what is it that confirms to you 100% that this is a CIA color revolution and military coup against Washington itself? Uh, can you tell us about that and why now? Okay, well, first of all, no one else could do it uh, but the CIA because all color revolutions have been uh, fomented by the CIA. Uh, they're never uh, spontaneous or, or autonomous. You know, the Iranian thing, this was an American overthrow <laughs> and all the others. So uh, this, it's the covert uh, division of the CIA that, that does this. So how do we know it again this time? Well, we know from uh, the beginning of the Trump administration, in fact, even before, back to the 2016 campaign for the presidency, uh, we could see all of these uh, claims starting to mount against Trump that he was uh, uh, a Russian agent that he was in bed with the Russians, that he was conspiring with Putin uh, to steal the election. And um, the, the origin of this, the first uh, public statement, came from the CIA director himself, uh, Brennan, John Brennan. He, he stated <laughs> this while he was still the CIA director, and we saw it uh, led to Russiagate. And Russiagate was a hoax. Uh, if if People have paid attention, they now know that. But at the time, it seemed real and important. But it failed. They were trying to use Russiagate to assassinate Trump, to get him out. Uh, you see, uh, it's hard for them uh, to kill the president uh, like they did uh, John Kennedy uh, and his brother. Uh, because uh, people have heard the lone nut gunman story too many times it also uh, it would also uh, bring up again the question of the attempted assassination of ronald reagan 
which was also extremely suspicious. Only this time, uh, if it actually was uh, a deep state move, um, it didn't have the support of the Secret Service, like Kennedy's assassination had. So for the same reason they wanted Trump out is the reason they kill um, Kennedy and maybe the reason uh, if they were involved, they attacked Reagan. Because what did Kennedy do? What did Reagan do? What did Trump do? They committed to reducing tensions with Russia, to eliminating the Soviet Union or Russia uh, as the enemy because Kennedy and Reagan were very much uh, concerned about nuclear weapons, how um, uh, an accident or a mistake in the warning system could lead to a nuclear war or how um, misread uh, intentions could lead to war. And so they wanted uh, these out. Uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis made President John F. Kennedy very much aware of that. And Reagan was very much aware of it. He would complain to us about those god-awful nuclear weapons. So he wanted to wind down the Cold War. Well, if you wind down the Cold War, if you remove the enemy that justifies the enormous power and budget of the military security complex, this threatens their life. It threatens their power. It threatens their, their financial budget. And so they don't like presidents who want to take away the enemy that justifies their power and their budget. And so when Trump said he was going to uh, reduce the tensions with the Soviet Union, he sounded to uh, the military security complex the same way Reagan sounded, the same way Kennedy sounded. And so they said, we got to get him out of here. Uh, he's not for us. And so we had Russia Gate. Now, when that failed, they tried the impeach gate. And that failed, and they said, well, uh, what we're going to do, uh, if we can't prevent his reelection by every kind of fomented uh, allegations, such as the Russians are paying bounties for the Taliban to kill Americans, and Trump has done nothing. Uh, and they've tried to blame him for the coronavirus or the mishandling of it. So all of these things, but still it looks like he's going to win. So uh, they are in the process of uh, preparing the color revolution to get rid of him in the event he wins re-election. And of course, this is the reason the Democrats uh, want mail-in voting so that you don't go to the poll, show your ID, and cast your vote, that you can actually request a vote to be sent to you at home, and you can mail it from home. Well, there's, of course, no check on that. And there's also no check on how many of these votes come in. <laughs> and the Democrats make a big deal. Oh, but you see, Reagan has appointed the head of the Postal Service. Uh, so it'll it'll have, it'll it'll be skewed in and I mean Trump it'll be skewed in Trump's favor. Well, the postal uh, union is democratic. The members of the, <laughs> the, the millions of postal workers uh, are in a public sector union. It's democratic. 
and the and the word has already gone out to them. Do not deliver any votes from red states. <laughs> well, the Trump voters know that, and the polls show they intend to vote in person. But the polls also show that the Democrats intend to vote by mail. So what is, why do the Democrats want to vote by mail? Because it means that on election night, when the votes are in and counted, a winner cannot be declared. It'll take how long for the mail-in votes to come in to be counted. And all during that time gives them more time to gin up propaganda that uh, Trump is going to steal the election. He's going to steal it. He's already lost. Uh, this this fraud. They can make all these accusations during a period when the uh, vote is left unresolved. So that makes it easy for them to steal it by uh, sending in a lot of double, triple, quadruple votes. And it makes Trump unable to say anything about it because they've already positioned him as intending to steal the election. So his complaints that this is fraud, they'll simply turn against him. See, we told you he was going to steal it. So that's that's essentially what's uh, what's going on. And you can, as you say, anyone uh, who is aware of color revolutions can see all the signs. We have been told now for a number of weeks by the entirety of the U.S. print TV media and national public radio uh, that Trump is going to steal the election. I posted the other day just a list of headlines. I forget who they came from, one of the articles that you mentioned. And, and all the headlines are Trump's going to steal the election. He's going to steal the election. He's going to steal the election. So they've beaten it into the heads of the population not just in the United States, but worldwide, that uh, Trump is going to steal the election. So everyone is prepared that he can't win, or if he did win, it's because he stole it. So that's what he's up against. Um, I think that uh, the chances of success are very high because one of the things that Obama did when he was president was to fire 200 of the ranking uh, generals and admirals in the military and put in these left-wing type people, uh, Obama type people. And they've already said that they're not going to interfere. What that means is they're not going to prevent a coup. <laughs> or essentially they will participate in a coup by not defending the president. So I think it's, uh, it's hands down. Now, it's, it's entirely possible that the vote is so overwhelming for Trump that they can't get away with it. If you, if you look at how the Democrats have positioned themselves uh, with all the looting and, and, and burning and destruction in so many cities, uh, they are seen as aiding and abetting the civil destruction. And there have been all kinds of businesses that have been ruined and destroyed. And these people 
must be thinking differently <laughs> than they were thinking when they elected those democratic state and local governments. They've got to say now, look, they, uh, they didn't protect uh, our business, our property, our life. It's gone. Uh, so this could have uh, some enormous impact on the vote. On the other hand, these people may be so brainwashed uh, that they think they deserve it because they're white. <laughs> and by definition, white people are racist. This is the way it now stands in the United States. If you're white, you're racist because of systemic racism. If you're born white, you're born racist. And they've been teaching this for decades in schools. So the susceptible people have been brainwashed. <laughs> but, uh, and, the, and they are the ones who elected the governments in Seattle and Portland <laughs> and Chicago and New York. Uh, but they may have learned a lesson. So this could be uh, a rejection of uh, the absence of uh, social order because that affects everyone. And indeed, um, the effort to uh, blame this all on, on blacks is, it doesn't work very well because when you see the photographs and the videos of Antifa and Black Lives Matter, most of them are white kids. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the brainwashed uh, high school, university population. So, that's, uh, that's Trump's hope, I guess, that uh, enough people have suffered from uh, the organized protest, which, of course, are financed by the elites, even the Ford Foundation. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was my next uh, question, because, uh, you know, for the longest time, we've been watching the color revolutions for the last two decades. You know, we can go back to 2000 with uh, Yugoslavia or Serbia, you know, Georgia, the Rose Revolution 2003, Ukraine, the Orange Revolution 2004, and on and on it goes, right? Moldova, the Twitter Revolution, the, the Green Revolution, Iran 2009, uh, I think they have the Jasmine Revolution, and so on. And so, you know, we always used to think that this was part of the U.S. Uh, empire's U.S. hegemony's uh, apparatus. You know, we had the actors, usual suspects, USAID, the National Endowment for Democracy, the State Department, uh, Open Society. But now, you know, for the first time, it's interesting to see that this same system now is going against the U.S. Uh, itself. So then it seems like the source of it is, is something emanating beyond Washington. You know, I guess we can call it globalism and its international power structure. Uh, Mike Whitney uh, writes, quote, the real person or persons who initiated the coup will likely never be known. These are the big money guys who operate in the shadows and who have a stranglehold on the intelligence agencies, end quote. So, you know, just to dig a little deeper, you know, what are the actors uh, or their ideologies or interests do you see being behind this color revolution now um, that's attacking Washington? Okay. Um, I'm not sure that Mike is right that the global financial interests control the CIA. I would think that would be difficult because the black ops division of the CIA can kill those people whenever it wants to. It's nothing they can do about it. So to say that the Rothschilds or any of the others 
uh, or controlling CIA, I kind of doubt that, but they have common interest. What do the globalists want? And why are the globalists against Trump? It's because he says he's going to make America great again. Globalists don't want strong national states. They want open borders. They want weak states that they can dominate. So the globalists are against Trump because he's trying to make America a strong national state. That's in their way. They don't want that. Weak states. That's why they support mass immigration, because it weakens the state. It, it becomes, a country becomes a tower of Babel, because they don't, they're not assimilated. So, and what does the CIA want? And the, the entirety of the military security complex, a lot of it is private. You know, all the private defense contractors, all the private uh, firms that serve the uh, the military and the bases and the troops. So much of it is now privatized. So there's a huge group of private and public interest. Uh, they need uh, the enemy. And Trump says he's going to reduce tensions with the enemy. So this brings the CIA and the globalists together to get rid of Trump. So I think that is what Mike Whitney really means. I think that's what he means. And um, of course, he's uh, a very thoughtful person and, and his articles are a godsend. <laughs> uh, so you can see how this leaves Trump isolated. Uh, the global interests, not just the financial, but the, the corporate, the offshoring, the, the transnational corporations as well as the global banking interest. They're against him. Um, and of course, we said why the CIA and the military security complex is against him. In fact, that's been apparent, as I said, from uh, the initial presidential campaign in 2016. So it's a fantastic array of forces against him because they have the entirety of the media there are no exceptions except, I think, uh, Tucker, uh, Tucker Carlson on Fox News. <laughs> and not just the American media, but the European media, and the British media. Uh, they're all against um, Trump. And then you look at Trump's government. Well, it, as I said in 2016, he had no idea who to appoint in order to support his attack on the establishment, because what Trump is doing is an outright frontal attack on the establishment, the global establishment, the uh, military security complex establishment, you see what I mean? And so uh, he staffed his government up with his enemies. <laughs> the, his Department of Homeland Security uh, uh, said the other day that uh, the greatest threat to America was white supremacists. <laughs> there are no white supremacist organizations. He didn't say it's Antifa or BLM that are uh, burning down the city. <laughs> he said it's some non-existent group. <clears throat> uh, and the FBI uh, 
said, the guy put in charge of the FBI said essentially the same thing. So they're already positioned in a way that they're not going to support Trump. So he, he doesn't even control his own government. That, that was, yeah, that was, again, I don't know if you're, you've hacked my system and you're reading my questions, but <laughs> that's leading to my, kind of my, one of my next questions. But yes, as you mentioned as well, it seems that they're hyping up these threats. You know, I've lived, I'm from Chicago, I'm from the U.S., and I've got friends all over the place, and I haven't seen, as you mentioned, they, they hype these threats, whether it's terrorism or white supremacists. Yes, of course, there are individual acts all over the place, but there, I don't see this, this big, greater threat. I think there, it's, it's just a fiction. Um, you've, you've mentioned already on your articles, and you discussed the Democratic uh, Party and, and the corruption. Um, you know, the, you've already mentioned they've already made the frame of mind that we should have, that Trump won't transition uh, peacefully from power. I mean, what if he wins le legitimately? You know, it's like, you know, it's just, they're just planting these things uh, uh, in our minds. You've recently posted about Hunter Biden uh, and the Ukraine-China scandal. Uh, the, the Mueller team recently wiping their phones of evidence while they were under investigation. So I don't know what more there is to say about the Democratic Party. But I, I also wonder sometimes about the Republican Party because I had on a guest called Pastor Chuck, uh, Chuck Baldwin who posited... He, uh, he pointed out how it has often been the Republican administrations who have brought in tyranny because by way of being the Republican Party, they pacify the large conservative base who otherwise would flip out, you know, if it was the Democratic Party doing what some of the things that they were doing. For example, we had the Bush administration who stage managed 9-11 uh, and they ushered in the Patriot Act, right? Who, which took away a lot of our, our freedoms and decimated the Constitution. And conservatives remained uh, silent because Bush was a Republican. And so uh, Chuck Baldwin and others have posited that, you know, under Trump we've seen the lockdowns, this warp, warp speed, biosecurity, uh, medical vaccination tyranny seemingly right now advance. So is there a, Trump, is there a chance that Trump is wittingly or unwittingly you know, a form of a globalist Trojan horse? Or is it just as you mentioned, that the power of the office of the presidency has become dilute, so diluted against the surrounding military intelligence and corporate shadow forces? Or just that, as you said, Trump didn't know who to pick to be on his team? Yes, I think the, the power is diluted. Um, it's, the power of the president is uh, it's, it's not there, at least not if the establishment is against him. And if the establishment's for it, as they were for George uh, W. Bush, uh, or really Cheney was running the show, then the president has lots of power. But if the establishment gets president, he got any. And, and Trump further weakened his position by overestimating the power of the presidency. He's used to being a boss and giving orders and being obeyed. And he thought that would happen in Washington. And so he didn't think it mattered who was the underlings. They were just going to do what they were told. So he, he didn't know he had to have a really strong guy on his side at the Justice Department, at the Pentagon, at the State Department, at the CIA, at the FBI. You know, he, did, he didn't know that because he thought they were just underlings. He's used to giving orders to people and they do what he says. And. Uh, so this left him completely unprepared, and I don't think he knows to this day who could help him. You know, he had one guy, General Flynn, and he let him go instantly. <laughs> as soon as, 
so uh, uh, I don't think Trump is, is part of the conspiracy. I mean, if he was if he was their guy, they wouldn't have spent four years trying to get rid of him. They would have spent four years boosting him up. Now, all the pressure on him has forced him to back off of things like uh, bringing, uh, you know, stopping this role of policeman of the world. I mean, he still tries to bring troops on. He still gets uh, an announcement out that some more coming. You may have seen the announcement he made a week or two ago when he said the trouble was the generals just wanted wars because it made them rich. <laughs> well, you know, that, that, that was a very risky thing for him to say. That is asking for the knife in the back. Um, but I think he feels that he's blocked in, so he's had to appease the military. That's what all his uh, antagonisms with China is about. He tries to avoid that with Russia, but uh, still he's got the sanctions on. And of course, he's very fierce against Iran because Israel demands it. And uh, that's his one hope that uh, he'll have Israeli support because they're very powerful uh, in their influence in the United States. It's probably the strongest <laughs> element, but the Jews themselves seem to be against it. That is the domestic American Jews. So... Uh, so he's really not getting the kind of help he thought that all of his support of Israel would bring. So he is uh, isolated. And the, the COVID thing, the lockdown, that's worldwide. Now, he's not responsible for that. That was the um, public uh, medical uh, authorities. You know, that, that came out of uh, WHO, WHO. It uh, came out from the American National Institute of Health, the American Center for Disease Control. The Chinese did it first. They had lockdowns. So the lockdown had nothing to do with Trump. It was just what was said had to be done. Um, uh, Trump has tried to get out of a lockdown. And so now they blame him for leaving it too quick. Um, he, he has resisted these things to the best of his ability. A lot of the statements he makes are provoked because they're blaming him for things. And he realizes that if the economy's in lockdown and failing, it's gonna hurt him in the election because, it, because the media's blaming him and people are gonna blame him. So it, when, everything, when everything is being used against you. <laughs> so you see what, what people don't realize, and I made this point some time ago, um, they're destroying Trump for another reason. They're making it clear to all future presidential candidates that don't you dare think you're going to represent the people. And that's what they're all learning. Look. The, the people who voted for him are dismissed as deplorables. It's not the people anymore. They've taken away uh, the legitimacy of the people to elect somebody who will represent them. And they're making an example of Trump so that you're not going to see any future politician 
appeal to the people the way Trump did. They're going to simply take the money from the big guys and, and have every kind of reason to let the big guys run things. And I suspect um, that Trump is, uh, is the last president the United States will ever see who appealed to the people and said, if you go back and look at his inauguration speech, how, how aggressive he was against establishment, things have changed now, the people are back in control. We're not going to permit that to ever happen again. It's, it's so, essentially what they're doing. I mean, as you say, they're destroying the constitutional republic uh, and that ability for the people to using the power of, of the different offices to 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 do anything, um, and that, again, again, that kind of leads me to what you alluded to. Just to get your, you feel strongly that the color revolution or the coup w will win. Uh, and in any case, if Trump wins, uh, you know, in twenty twenty four, you know, he'll be the last, let's say, constitutional legitimate president. And to get your thoughts on the worst case scenario one could imagine after the election or after twenty twenty four. You know, will we finally see the, the fascist coup attempts uh, that have been alive since the time of Smedley Butler, right? Uh, will that come to fruition? And are, are we going to be living in military rule or is it going to be, are we going to be living in a scientific dictatorship uh, technocracy that President Eisenhower uh, warned about? You know, what do you see after the elections? Like, I mean, are, are we going to see a civil war that'll last for months or years or are we going is it going to be as you say after trump it's going to be this permanent type of technocratic uh, dictatorship i don't know that it would be technocratic um if trump somehow manages to win and stay in office it'll be four years just like the last four they'll be contriving something every minute to keep him on the defensive so he can't do anything See, they have successfully stopped him from reducing tensions with Russia. And they and the consequence is they forced him to raise tensions with China and Iran. So whatever you know, if he wins and gets to stay in, I think he's gonna win. The question is whether it will be dismissed as fraud. If all the media in the country is telling you he didn't really win, the fact that he won is taken away from him. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's the, the likely case. Um, now, for the future, you see, the biggest problem economically that the United States has, you know, I've always in the past stressed it was the offshoring of the high productivity, high value added jobs, which reduced the uh, incomes of the people and therefore left no discretionary income to drive aggregate demand. So the economy simply can't grow. And, and so the, and the Fed substituted an increase in consumer debt for the missing growth in consumer income. So now everybody is indebted up to the eyeballs and now with COVID and the lockdown, you see a massive debt crisis because all kinds of small businesses locked down, couldn't pay the rents. 
some of them know they can't pay the arrears, so they're just going out of business. Well, then the landlords can't pay the banks. So what you're going to see here is a, a further takeover of property by the financial interests. They're going to end up with uh, shopping centers and office buildings and homes, and there's going to be more homelessness. Well, this eventually kills the economy because there's nobody for the financial interest who have accumulated all the assets to sell anything to or get any rents when nobody's got any income. And they're all overburdened with debt. You know, you've got to pay mortgage debt or, or rent. You've got to pay car payments, you know, student loan debt, credit card debt. You see, a lot of Americans, they live on their credit card. And they pay the minimum payment each month, which means the balance is growing dramatically whether or not they buy anything else or not. <laughs> So they live on these credit cards until the debt gets so high, the card is cut off. So then they can, not only they can't pay the minimum payment, they can't buy any food or pay the utility bill or their rent. So this is the future that the American economy faces. It's, it's really one of total collapse. Sometime ago, uh, Michael Hudson and I <clears throat> wrote an article pointing out that the only way out of this was debt forgiveness, which was the ancient way. It's the way all of the ancient systems work. When debt builds up, uh, the rulers just uh, had a jubilee, a debt jubilee. and just said, okay, because otherwise uh, they, they would lose everything because the creditors then would end up with all the property, all the labor. And so the rulers just declared a debt jubilee. We'll see what they're going to do here, what they're planning to do. Well, Michael Hudson made this very clear. They're going to uh, privatize everything. So the states, in order to pay the interest on their bonds, are going to have to sell off the roads to private interest who then charge tolls. They're going to sell off the bridges to private interest who then charge tolls. You know, it was a number of years ago, the city of Chicago did that with their parking meters. They sold them or they leased them for 75 years for one upfront payment. So they deprived themselves of 75 years of revenue flow for one upturn one-term uh, payment that they desperately need to balance their budget that year. You see, states have uh, constitutional requirements to balance their budgets. Well, with all these businesses gone and closed down and, and the lockdown and the offshoring and the, their revenue flow is very low. So they're being forced into privatizations. Uh, the uh, financial interests are after the post office. You know, the British already privatized the British post office. So the post office will be privatized. So 
this will keep things going one more cycle. The, the existing state and local governments will sell off all the public sector assets to private interest to be bought by the financial sector. So more and more power is concentrated in the financial sector. And that is the, uh, you'll start seeing this uh, happening over the next uh, one to five years. It'll just be, and certainly uh, Trump or no Trump. This is what you're up against. Otherwise, what do you do with these debts? It's, it's, yeah. They also, one, and one last thing, they're going to steal the pensions. You see, the Democrats have already told uh, cities and states the way you service your municipal bonds is you raid the pensions. So poverty is going to grow dramatically. Homelessness, poverty, and it's difficult to organize this. And of course, this also plays into the hands of uh, the globalists and the CIA. It makes an extremely weak state, and it wipes out the Trump deplorables, many of whom are armed and still have some kinds of income and jobs. Well, if you can get rid of them too, there's nobody in your way. So as you can see, it's a very uh, dark outcome. And it's hard to see what can stop it, yeah. particularly when, when they have been brainwashing students in school, you know, from kindergarten through graduate school, uh, about how evil America is and how evil white people are, and uh, and they they've just simply destroyed the culture and the structure of beliefs that make people stand up for themselves and defend. So I, I would say that uh, we're pretty much uh, on final days. I mean, how else? The debt, debt forgiveness would bail the system out, but the financial interests aren't going to permit it. <laughs> yeah, they call it the Great Reset, but I don't think that includes... Uh an actual reset uh, yeah. of the debt and the, the extreme privatization that you mentioned, it's frightening because if you, if you just take an example of like what they've done, privatize the virtual public space of like Facebook and Twitter and Google, we don't have recourse anymore. You know, it used to be like the public square. If something happened, you can uh, address the local uh, government or the state or the federal. But now it's like Facebook just, you know, I've had YouTube videos deleted and you know, there's no one to talk to. It's like, bye. And then the same thing happens, as you say, if, if the, you know, I got into a squabble with Costco, they almost threw me out uh, here in Mexico when I wouldn't put my mask, you know, on my nose, this kind of thing. And, and you know, what happens if you get thrown out of a business for their own rules, you, you can't buy food. And then now, as you say, with the toll roads and, and so on, there will be no recourse to government because everything's going to be privatized and they can raise the prices and do whatever they want to us. Um, and then just one of my final questions is, I ask you this every time because I think it's important. It's, it's a cycle, the, you know, the historical World War cycles. And if we look at back at World War I and World War II, you know, we, we had the Spanish flu, so-called, in 1918. So you had the pandemic, you had World War I, you had the Great Depression and the rise of totalitarianism. 
and we seem again to be entering in this phase uh, again. So, uh, have your thoughts changed much on the dangers of a, a coming war with China, Russia, or Iran? I think that uh, the globalists, the military security complex, don't want a war. They just want an enemy. I think they know they can't win a war with Russia or China. Uh, the Russian uh, military is so far superior to the American one. And their weapon systems are so dominant. We wouldn't have a chance, <laughs> literally. And even against China, you know, we think we have these carrier fleets and all that, but their missiles could get rid of those in a few minutes. And the notion that we could invade troops, Russia or China, is insane. No, we couldn't do that. We'd be instantly destroyed. So, Iran, I think uh, Israel will keep on uh, until they get in trouble with Iran. Unless the Russians and Chinese take a firmer stance. If the Russians and Chinese See, all this would be stopped if Russia, China, and Iran signed a neutral defense agreement. That'd be the end of it. Because uh, not even Trump would let Israel prompt him into uh, trouble with uh, Iran if he's also got trouble with Russia and China. So that would stop it. It's the uh, caution of the, of the Russian and Chinese governments that's dangerous. They're so cautious, and they want to show how uh, reasonable they are, uh, that they are the cause of the danger. If they were much more firm, the whole thing would stop. Um, and I think the military security complex would probably be happy if you had a Russian-Chinese-Iranian uh, neutral defense treaty, because that gives them their enemy and no danger of war. Because what they want is the money from making and selling and deploying weapon systems. They don't want to use them. But certainly not against formidable entities. So, uh, other, but there can be an accidental war. You see, what Stephen Coyne, who recently passed away, and I are concerned about is that during the uh, Cold War, there were innumerable false alarms in the warning systems on both sides. And the only reason nobody ever pushed a button was on both sides knew they were working to minimize tensions. And we had all of these arms control agreements and all these other things. And, and the Soviets and the Americans trusted each other. So nobody believed the warnings. They just said, there's got to be false. Well, today the tensions are so high between the United States and Russia because of the constant accusations against Russia. People are going to believe false alarms. And this is, uh, this is the danger in, in not reducing those tensions. So you could very easily see the world go up in uh, nuclear smoke because uh, false alarms, when tensions are at such a high level, you know, the kinds of denunciations of Putin and, uh, and uh, Russia that are constant, 
and all the false charges against them. Uh, and, and here, the, Russia is presented as a dangerous enemy that steals our elections and all the rest. So there's really just no trust. And so it's far more dangerous than doing the Cold War. I had, a, I think, a, a copy of uh, Abel, one of those examples that you talk about, Abel Archer, uh, in, in 1983, uh, people can look at the declassified of when they almost pressed the button, right? NATO war games. Uh, so there's yeah. many people don't e are not even aware of, you know, if, if they had pressed the button, I wouldn't have been born. So, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, none of us would be here. People don't realize how destructive these weapons are. Now, on COVID, you see, COVID helps this process because COVID provides provide the excuse for write-in voting, which the Democrats. See, without write-in voting, the color revolution has got less of a chance. So they, they've kept COVID alive. I actually think the, it's hugely exaggerated. So COVID has been kept alive for two reasons. One, to give the reason you have to have right in voting, because you can't go and vote and stand in line, you get COVID. And the other is they got to keep COVID alive until big pharma can come up with a vaccine because they want to make tens of billions of dollars on vaccines, mandatory vaccines, if they have to be. So COVID, instead of being uh, dealt with in uh, an appropriate way, for example, there's a cure, an inexpensive cure. There's no reason for anybody to die. The masks that the vast majority of people are wearing are totally ineffective. They, they cannot prevent the transmission of the virus. So you, if you don't have an N95 mask or higher, you have no protection whatsoever from any bacteria or any virus. The ones that people are wearing, they don't do anything. In fact, they could do harm. Um, they reduce oxygen flow. So for older people, this is, or, or people with asthma or these kinds of conditions, this is a serious thing. It's more, they're in more danger from the mask than they are from COVID. Uh, the mask also collect all of your germs. So you, you just have a mass buildup of your own germs that you're constantly breathing. So um, if they can keep uh, the fear alive, and, and here they're working on ramping up the fear again. They're saying, oh my gosh, it's exploding again. It's because all the young people, they've gone back to school. Uh, they're all getting sick and they're spreading it to adults. And so we have talk about more lockdowns. We have talk about, and now masks are required. In so many places, you got to have a mask, even though it's useless. It's a useless mask. This has been proven over and over and over. See, if those masks were any good, you wouldn't need N95s. <laughs> there would be no reason if a surgical mask or these cloth masks were, were protective, there'd be no reason for an N95, much less a P100. Well, people don't know that. And you, you try to tell them, and they just look at you like, oh gosh, an anti-masker.
And you try to tell them there's a cure for, oh, an anti-vaccine guy. They can't think. They're so brainwashed. The media has them. And so all of these things come together. COVID supports the agenda just like all the rest. And so I think Trump will win hands down and he will be denied. It will not be acknowledged that he won. And it, it begins election night when they can't declare a winner. I mean, even if he's carried every state. <laughs> because the write-in, the mail-in votes aren't counting. And this is another reason they're trying to stop him from appointing a Supreme Court justice. Because uh, they intend to overthrow him and then they will appoint that justice. And then that justice will help them deconstruct whatever's left in the United States. So, yeah, it's uh, uh, a color revolution in place. It's very carefully planned and has everything going for it. Okay. Um, if you have any final thought for us, and, you know, uh, it's a bleak future, but, you know, this is history. We've been through these ups and downs, and now it's, uh, this is what uh, we're going to be experiencing. Uh, any final thought? And the, I think the best place to support you is uh, paulcraigroberts.org, right? Yeah. yeah. You, that's another thing. Uh, you see, there was a time when uh, people such as myself, concerned with our civil liberties, the Constitution, truth and justice and all of that, would have had heavy financial support from foundations. No, it's not possible. Who gets support for foundations is Antifa and Black Lives Matter. <laughs> I'm convinced these are CIA-fronted organizations. Um, they had to organize it. I mean, the raw material was there. The raw material was created by the educational system. But somebody had to have the skill and the money to organize it. And, of course... The, once it's organized and going and seated, the CIA can have Ford Foundation or Soros or whoever they want find it because you just can't tell uh, a deep state no, <laughs> take you out <laughs> or frame you up. So this pro they could they they could probably come up with a thousand reasons to indict George Soros or anybody else. So this is why I really think it's not the globalists who have the ultimate power. It's, it's the covert division of the CIA that's unaccountable. Nobody even knows who you are, whether you are, what they do, including the CIA director. Unless he's one of them. Now, during the Dulles period, Alan Dulles, John Foster Dulles, the brothers. One of them ran the State Department, one ran the CIA. And that was power. The president was nothing. <laughs> In fact, a lot of people think that what signed John Kennedy's death warrant was when he fired Alan Dulles. Yeah. So, that's it. 
we'll see what happens. I'd be delighted if all of us who are concerned are totally wrong. But uh, what else explains the uniformity of voice of the media, not just in the United States, but in all over Europe, that Trump is not going to step down? And, um, you know, he said something that gave them more ammunition when he s said he was really suspicious of this um, vote by mail. And so they all took that as more evidence that he's not going to step down just because he, I mean, it's a valid suspicion. I have it too, and I'm not even running. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if they didn't intend this, they wouldn't be seeing this. What's the point? I see. Otherwise, it makes just total fools out of themselves, doesn't it? If they all say he's going to steal the election, blah blah, blah and there's no color revolution to follow through, and he wins, then everybody looks at oh, a bunch of dopes, you know. So they can't. They're not. They wouldn't be saying this if it wasn't planned. In other words. So I, I think we covered waterfront. Um, like I say. Uh, I wonder, does Mexico accept American immigrants? <laughs> They've been sending people here for a long time. Can we go there? <laughs> yeah, you know, I saw this coming over a decade ago. So I've, I've positioned myself uh, accordingly. So as far as I know, yeah, you can still come in uh, while, while the border is open. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I, that's what I'm thinking about, just being a reverse immigrant invader. <laughs> I, you know, there are quite. There's a quite of a few uh, 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 people, you know, especially in the alternative media space, that are moving down to Mexico. So you know, it's a cheaper cost of living. Uh, the government doesn't function well, which is good. It gives you more freedom. So <laughs> you you have to stay away though from all of the the criminal elements. I mean, I heard, I've heard this entire areas of Mexico. If you go out driving, you get stopped in, on the highways and robbed. In certain places, yeah, but. So far, it's well, I've, too, I've heard too that some of the Mexican elite are leaving the country because they say whatever happens to America happens to us. <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard the elite. I don't know where they would go, though. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was wondering. Where would you go? Where Where can anyone go? And I, I've, I've spoken to uh -huh. go. You go to Russia. The trouble is, the Russians are very strict. You have to learn the language. That's hard language to learn. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. I've been. I was there for three years, and I, I, it's not. It's not easy. But uh, there were two people that you might know: Martin Armstrong, the the forecaster, and uh, Edwin Black, the Jewish historian who I interviewed. Uh, Edwin Black said, "This this system will go global. You'll have nowhere to escape to. You know this like social credit system that's being installed." Uh, and Martin Armstrong just two days ago said that you know the globalists are going forward with their plan that he has inside sources from Europe that they've taken over the Anglo-Saxon world and that basically there's nowhere to to flee to so I don't think they can take over Russia and China and Iran they'll try but I don't think they can I really don't They're, I think that's where it'll come a cropper and I think what the globalists take over economically will collapse because it produces such an extreme concentration of income and wealth, there's no economy to support the people at the top. And um, I don't think they can 
take Russia, China, or Iran. I mean, they're, they're trying and try, but Russia's the weakest because they still have uh, an intellectual class that wants to be part of the West. So that we Russia's the easiest target for the globalists. China, I don't think they can get. That was our interview with Dr. Paul Craig Roberts. If you are enjoying the Geopolitics and Empire podcast and find value in it, your help is desperately needed. One of the simplest ways in which you can help the podcast survive and grow is by merely subscribing to our free email list and subscribing to all of our mainstream and alternative social media channels. These include YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Minds, Telegram, BitChute, Brighteon, MeWe, Gab, Reddit, and VK. Uh, you can leave us a podcast rating and review on Apple, Stitcher, CastBox, or elsewhere. And it's also important to support the work uh, financially. You can leave a one-time donation with PayPal, Bitcoin, or Ethereum. Or you can become a monthly supporter via Patreon or Subscribestar. I conduct these interviews in my free time, and the work is time-consuming. I need to be contacting guests, conducting research for the interviews, recording, editing the interviews, and uploading them to all social media channels. This is a skeleton crew, a one-man uh, operation. I pay for these costs out of my own pocket with the exception of the one-time and regular donations that I receive, which help cover some of the costs of my time, energy, and production of the podcast, but are not nearly enough. I would like to spend more time producing geopolitics and empire, but for that I would need greater support. My goal is to output two to three free podcasts per week together with the weekly newsletter, which collects the news of the week. In addition, I'm planning to offer my own personal brief weekly analysis, which would be offered for a minimal fee to subscribers only via Patreon, Subscribestar, and Minds. So thanks for tuning in and consider helping geopolitics and empire in any way you see fit.